we've been looking at these chapters in Romans. It's a kind of mini-series. It wasn't really designed to be that, but that's how it's turned out. We looked at chapter 13. Um, what have the Romans ever done for us? We looked at the, the Christians' uh, responsibilities as citizens to government. We looked at Romans 14 and looked at how we are to live together in the body of Christ. Uh, in all things, uh, well, well in, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. That's what we saw in Romans chapter 14. Now, to, uh, this, this afternoon I want us to come to chapter 15 and to the passage that was just read to us. And I want to take a, a text, because that, that will often help you to concentrate and it's a way into the passage. So let me take verse 20 as our text for tonight. Uh, it has always been my ambition, says Paul, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Uh, I think it was Francis Xavier, who uh, 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 a very famous Jesuit missionary in the 17th century, who uh, famously challenged a bunch of university students in his day to give up your small ambitions and come with me to save the world. I want that to be perhaps my challenge to you, Soul Church, as I, as I disappear. <laughs> And as Pete comes to begin his ministry here, give up your small ambitions. You're a great church. You're a lovely church. You're a welcoming church. But give up your small ambitions. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for the status quo. Give up your small ambitions. Come with me and save the world. That's what Paul wants to say to the church in Rome. That's why he wrote Romans, really. It's not some great theological treatise for Bible nerds. It's often treated in that way, isn't it? The reason Paul wrote Romans is because he wants to go to Spain. And he wants the Roman Christians to be his mission partners. Why does he want to go to Spain? Well, because he wants to evangelize the Western world. He's already evangelized the Eastern Mediterranean, as we'll see in a moment. And now he wants to go to Spain so that he can start on the West. Romans isn't some great theological treatise. It is an apology for world evangelization. Come with me. Let's save the world, Paul is saying. Look at verse 19. From Jerusalem, he says, all the way around to Illyricum. That's modern-day uh, Albania. That's a huge area. From Jerusalem, all the way around to uh, Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. That is a huge claim to make, isn't it? That's a huge area to cover. And look what he says in, in verse um, 23. It's even more uh, astounding what he says there in verse 23. He says, there's no more place for me to work in these regions. Now, I'm not absolutely sure what he means by that. Does he mean that everybody, every single person who lives in that area has been converted? No, he, obviously he doesn't mean that. He's got some kind of a strategy to reach the eastern Mediterranean, and he's saying, well, I think my job's done. I think I've completed that, that task, and now I want to go to Spain. And I'm going to pass through Rome on the way, and I want you to be my mission partners. That's what he's saying, I think. So join with me, he says, in breaking new ground for the gospel. I think, so, I think probably, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I think probably that's what Pete would want to say to you, Soul Church, as he begins his ministry here next week. 
join with me in breaking new ground for the gospel. Make it your ambition, Soul Church, under Pete's leadership, to boldly go where no one has been before. Now, how are we going to do that? How are, how are you and I, how are the churches here in Hobart, how are we going to reach the unreached? How are we going to make Christ known where he has not been known before? There are four things that stand out in this passage. They all begin with the letter P, so apologies to Sesame Street, but this sermon comes to you courtesy of the letter P. <laughs> Here are the four things that stand out in this, in this chapter. How are, we, how are we going to break new ground for the gospel? How are we going to reach those who, who haven't heard about Jesus? And make no mistake about it, there are plenty of those people around in Tasmania. How are we going to reach those people? Four things, by proclaiming, by pioneering, by partnering, and by praying. Those are the four things. So let's look at those four things. How, how are we going to break new ground for the gospel? Well, first of all, by proclamation. Look at verse 19. Look what he says again. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, I heard recently of uh, two ministers who were turned down by a particular missionary society, which will be, remain nameless, uh, because they were only Bible teachers. Now, I can understand that in a way. I mean, granted, there are, there are many places in the, in the world, there are, there are problems of access into some countries, and you need to have other skills rather than be a Bible teacher. You need some kind of tent-making skills just to get into the country. But you should never forget that once you get into the place, your job is to proclaim Christ. It's easy to forget that. See, Paul describes it, look at verse 15. He describes it as his priestly duty. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 15. He's, the language he uses here is, is very interesting. Uh, I've written to you, he says, verse 15, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus. You just called a minister. Pete is a minister of the gospel. Paul describes himself as a minister of Christ Jesus. Literally, the word he uses there is a liturgist. He's a liturgist of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I've written to you because of the grace God gave me to be a liturgist of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is worship language. This is the language of Old Testament worship. It's temple terminology. And do you see, what the, do you see the significance of this? You see, you know what a liturgy is, don't you? It's, it's the order of service. And, and Paul is saying, this is the order of service, soul church. This is what God has called us to. To make Christ known. That's our priestly duty. You, you see, it's... I, don't, I wonder if you see, if, you, if you've ever thought of evangelism in those terms. Sometimes people draw a wedge between evangelism and worship, and they say, well, uh, that church over there, they're really into evangelism. They really... Uh, but we're more into worship. 
and we have our meetings and we have great music and we come together and we sing songs. And we're, we're, we're a kind of worshipful church. Uh, we're not activists like that church across the road. And sometimes people try and draw a wedge between evangelism and worship. But you see what Paul is saying here. Evangelism is worship. Perhaps you thought uh, coming here on a Sunday afternoon and singing songs, and I'm so grateful to the music team here and the way in which they lead us in that, perhaps you thought that that was worshipping. And of course it is. But there's much more to worship than coming here and singing songs. Paul says, Proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles is worship. It's my priestly duty, he says. And, and the Gentiles, those who are converted under his ministry, well, they are the offering that I'm going to bring to God. I, I, I want you to see this, uh, and maybe this sounds a bit Protestant if you're a Catholic, and I know there is a Catholic here tonight, I think. <laughs> and uh, this isn't meant to be anti-Catholic or anything, but it's just explaining Protestant thinking. Um, uh, Priestly ministry is not about bells and smells and rites and rituals and robes and candles. Priestly ministry, according to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, it's about pointing people to Jesus. It's proclaiming Christ. And, and that's Pete's job. You've called him to be a minister of the gospel, a liturgist. He's the parish priest, if you like, but priestly ministry is not facing an altar and offering sacrifices. Priestly ministry is going out and proclaiming the gospel. That's what you've called Pete to lead you in. And, and you see, this is the great Protestant doctrine that we all believe in. I hope we do. I hope we understand that this is a great doctrine of, of the Protestant Reformation. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, don't we? That means if you're a believer, this is your priestly duty. To tell people about Jesus. We're all priests. And our ministry is to proclaim Christ, to make him known. Now, it's a sad commentary on uh, today's church that those of us who call ourselves evangelicals are often not evangelistic. And those who are evangelistic <laughs> are not always evangelicals. Like the Archbishop of York, just to give you one example. <laughs> Be a little bit controversial, who's the second in charge of the Church of England, the second highest ranking clergyman in the Church of England. He came out this week in a, in a comment that he made to a uh, fellow bishop in Canada. He said, uh, climate change is the gospel. That's the gospel I want to preach. I want to preach and teach on that far more than I've done in the past, because I believe that climate change is the gospel. What would Paul say about that? Remember what he said at the Galatians? It doesn't matter who comes, whether it's, whether it's me, Paul says, or, or an archangel, or even an archbishop. If he comes and preaches to you any other gospel than the gospel you heard from me, let him be what? Damned! Let him be accursed! This is a serious stuff. Of course we'll have something to say about climate change, if we're thinking Christians. Of course we'll have something to say about uh, social justice. We'll have something to say about eradicating poverty. We'll have views and all these things from the Bible. And we'd be, hopefully we'll be able to talk about these things and discuss these things. But don't for one minute think that that's the gospel. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to proclaim Jesus. To tell people 
about him, about who he is, and what he's done for us on the cross. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Paul says, all the way up the shores of the Adriatic, reaching into Serbia, Albania, and Macedonia, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ, the good news about Jesus. That's something worth aiming for, isn't it? Here in Tasmania, to fully, fully proclaim the gospel of Christ, from Smithton all the way down to Signet, from Scottsdale to Cockle Creek. There are a lot of, a lot of centers of population here in Tasmania. If we want to see Tasmania change, that's the way to do it, isn't it? It's by proclaiming Christ. It's by going out there and telling people about Jesus. And so when someone comes to you and, 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 and just says, Oh, Jesus. Well, just say to them, I'm sorry, um, do you know anything about Jesus? Can I tell you who he is? This isn't rocket science. It's just it's making the main thing the main thing. It's telling people about the one who died for us and who loves us. And who is God's eternal king, bringing in his eternal kingdom. So that's the first thing, proclaiming. Secondly, by pioneering. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Back in 1768, there was, there was a 39-year-old British sea captain who set off on a journey of scientific discovery. He'd been hired by the Royal Society to observe the transit of Venus across the sun. And the journey would take him quite literally into uncharted waters. When eventually he saw shoreline, it reminded him of South Wales, and so he called it New South Wales. And of course you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Here's a line from Captain Cook's uh, journal. I had ambition, he says, not only to go further than any man had been before, but as far as it was possible for man to go. That was Paul's great ambition, wasn't it? To boldly go where no one had been before. Not because he was a great adventurer, though he might have been. Like uh, Captain Cook or Captain Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. No, not because he was... And it being, he wanted adventure for the sake of adventure, but because he has a scriptural warrant for it, doesn't he? It's, it's great to have ambition, but make sure that your ambition rests on the foundation of scripture. Paul's ambition came right out of the Bible, didn't it? Look at verse 21. It comes right out of the written word. Look at verse 21. As it is written, he says. And then he quotes from one of the servant songs in Isaiah, Isaiah 52. Those who are not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. He points to, to Jesus, the suffering servant, who, who came as a missionary, and he wants his followers to be the same. To boldly go where no one has been before, so that those who are not told will see. And those who have not heard will understand. Soldiers, that's what we're here for. When the London Missionary Society interviewed David Livingstone, he was asked where he wanted to go. You know what he said? He said, anywhere, as long as it's forward. And when he arrived in Africa, 
he wrote home uh, to his supporters saying that he was haunted by the smoke of a thousand villages. Haunted by the smoke of a thousand villages. All those communities where there was no gospel witness, where there was no gospel church, all those people who had never heard about Jesus, who were in this world without hope and without God. Does that keep you awake at night? Do you ever walk through the mall there in, in, the, in, the, in the city and look into people's faces and think, does that person know Jesus or not? Because most of them don't. They're in this world without hope and without God. Well, you might say that's all very well for David Livingstone and the Apostle Paul, but surely today, after so many centuries of missionary activity, there's nowhere left for us to go with the gospel. We don't need pioneers today, do we? Well, we most certainly do. The need is ten times greater today than it was in Paul's day. There are ten times as many unreached people in the world now as there were in Paul's day. Eight million Muslims in Europe are unevangelized. One in five has never heard of Jesus. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people groups are without a Bible in their own language. And there are whole nations without a church. I remember a few years ago, I was reading about an African bishop who was visiting England. He was being shown around uh, one of the old parish churches somewhere in England. And the vicar said to him proudly, Do you know, our church has been standing here for 800 years. And the African bishop just broke down into tears. What took you so long, he said. What took you so long? Why has it taken us so long to wake up to what Jesus told us to do from the very beginning, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature? Why has it taken us so long? Still today, you see, there are people waiting to hear the gospel for the first time, even here in Hobart. Pioneering doesn't necessarily mean, you know, putting on a pith helmet and going to some remote part of the planet. It doesn't necessarily mean that anymore. It's much closer to home than that for us. It's about what happens in your everyday life. It's about who you're going to sit next to on the bus. Actually, it means deciding whether you're going to take the bus into town or drive your own car. That is a gospel decision for you to make. It's, the name, it's, it's, it's pioneer thinking. It's the way we need to be thinking. Where do we go next with the gospel? Who are the people around us who have not yet heard? And, and how can I reach them? Soul Church, this needs to be on our agenda. I hope you're not calling. I'm sure you're not. I know you well enough to, to know. I hardly need to say this. But I, I hope you're not calling Pete to be your chaplain to hold your hand. <laughs> I hope that you're calling him as a leader to lead you into new, new fields of service. I heard of a church some years ago, now quite a few years ago now, I heard of a church in Sydney. You were, Soul Church, you were planted in, a, in, a, in the, the, roast, the coffee roaster's place, weren't you? Oomph Coffee, one of the best, best coffee in town at the time. And that's where you started life, in a, in a coffee shop. I heard about a church in, 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 in Sydney that was, uh, was started at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, 2 a.m., 2 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. 
in order to reach Chinese restaurant workers. <laughs> That's pioneering, isn't it? You think two, two o'clock on Tuesday mornings, in the middle of the night, who's going to come? You see, these people are thinking about those who have not yet heard. Who are the people who have not yet heard? How can we reach them? And, and you see, Paul wrote this. Uh, he, he wrote Romans to put this on the agenda uh, for our churches so that we might boldly go where no one has been before. Do we have to be stuck in the four o'clock slot in a nice church building? Well, maybe. Maybe that suits us. Maybe that'll help the work. That's for you to decide. But Paul wrote Romans to challenge our thinking so that we might boldly go where no one has been before and reach those who have not heard to tell them about Jesus. And there are loads of people in your own circle of friends all around Hobart who really haven't heard about Jesus. They may think they know about him, but they know next to nothing about him. It won't take you long to find that out if you have a conversation with them. So these are the, here comes the third P, okay? Proclaiming. It's not social work. Yeah, we might do all those sort of things. It's not good deeds. All those things, they, 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 come, they flow out of the gospel. But that's not the gospel. You can do all those things and yet never say a word about Jesus. You know, proclaiming, that's the first thing. Pioneering, thinking outside the square. Thinking about where are the people that we need to reach? How can we reach them? See, so often a church is set up for people to come to us. So we have a service at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and we might, might or might not advertise it, and we expect people to come and turn up. That's not the way they did church. It's not, about, it's not about inviting people to a building on Sunday afternoon. It's about us going out of this building to where people are. It's pioneering. And so here comes the third P, partnering, because we can't do this on our own. To reach Tasmania with the gospel, it's too big a task for just one church. See, look at verse 24. Paul wants these Christians in Rome, do you see what he says? To assist him on his journey. Now, that's, that's a technical phrase in the New Testament. You'll find it in, in other places, in Titus chapter 3, for example, in uh, 3 John. It's a kind of technical phrase which describes partnership in the gospel. He's on his way to Spain because he wants to start evangelizing the Western Mediterranean. He says, I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey after I've enjoyed your company for a while. See, this isn't just a social call. Uh, this isn't just a, a stopover to break his journey. He's not just asking for a bed for the night when he asks them to assist him on his journey. I, I, he's not just coming to visit the church and to catch up with some old friends. No, no, I'm coming to plunder your church. I'm coming to recruit a, tree, a team from your church. That's why he writes Romans. It's pretty obvious when you read chapter 1 and chapter 16, you can see that's what he's doing. He's establishing the Roman church as a base for worldwide evangelization. I want you to assist me in this journey, he says. To partner with him. 
Come with me, he says, and save the world. Now, there's a challenge for us, Soul Church, and it's a real challenge, it's a very real challenge, because we've got at least two missionary couples here who we're about to send out, aren't we? Some pretty challenging places. And I want to, I want to ask you, what part are you going to pay, play, play in that? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever prayed about what part can I play in bringing the gospel to the rest of the world? Uh, I remember speaking at a, or, yeah, I remember organizing a, a, I used to be the guy who organized the, uh, the ministry challenge conferences in Tasmania. And we used to get Philip Jensen down from Sydney. He spoke quite often. And I can remember him speaking at one of these conferences. And uh, he told the story of a young guy. The, the idea of the Ministry Challenge Conference is to, uh, to get people to think seriously about what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. And uh, he, he, I can remember him telling the story of a young lawyer, really uh, up-and-coming, wealthy, successful lawyer in the city of Sydney who was at one of these conferences, and uh, he was really convicted, he was really challenged through the preaching of the gospel as to what he should do. And, and in conversation with, with, I think, with Philip Jensen, he, he sort of said, look, I, I think I could do more, more good by staying in my job as a lawyer, earning lots of money, and supporting world mission. And Philip Jensen, typical Philip Jensen, his answer uh, was, yeah, that's, that's really good, that's very good. As long as you live on a minister's salary and give the rest away. <laughs> I think he was saying that tongue-in-cheek. But he was saying it deliberately as a challenge. The overwhelming need of reaching people with Jesus. What part are you going to play? Will you go? Or will you stay? And if you decide that it's better to stay, will you pay? And will you pray? Because make no mistake about it, we're all in partnership in this exercise of getting the gospel out into the world. That brings me then to the last P. How do we reach Tasmania for Christ? By proclaiming, by pioneering, not being content with the status quo. By partnering, with other like-minded churches, other gospel churches. And by praying, look at verse 30. I urge you, brothers, he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Prayer is a struggle. It, it's hard work. It doesn't come naturally to us. That's why so often the prayer meeting is the worst attended meeting in the church calendar. I have to say, uh, for all the churches I've been involved with, Soul Church, you're, you're pretty uh, much committed to corporate prayer. And that's been one of the great blessings of, of being with you for the last 18 months. But, but so often, you know, it's a struggle to come to the prayer meeting, isn't it? Oh, I don't get anything out of the prayer meeting, you say. Who said you had to get anything out of it? You're supposed to put something into it. <laughs> Remember those three old codgers up on the hill in Exodus chapter 17? I don't know if you're familiar with that story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 17. Where, while Joshua is fighting the Amalekites down on the plain, 
Aaron and her are up on the hill holding up Moses' hands in prayer. We read about it in Exodus chapter 17. And it says there, as long as Moses held up his hands in prayer, the Israelites were winning. That's what we do when we come together to pray. We're holding each other's hands up in prayer. And, and, and do you see the point? This is the great mystery of prayer. God has tied the advance of the gospel to your prayers. And, and friends, so often it's the old codgers who pray, isn't it? Octogenarians, like Aaron and her and John Johnson. <laughs> While the young men are sipping their lattes and swapping recipes on Facebook. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit harsh. It's hyperbole. But it's so uncool to go to a prayer meeting, isn't it? There a thousand and one other things I could be better doing. And yet, you see, that's where the battle is fought and won. On your knees. Samuel Nesderly, in his book, Amongst the Soviet Evangelicals, tells of a visit uh, to a big Baptist church in Moscow at the end of the Cold War. Noticing in, the, in this vast congregation, because there were hundreds and hundreds of people there, row upon row of women dressed in black, he asked the pastor, who are those women sitting, sitting up there all dressed in black? Ah, said the pastor. <laughs> Those are the women who prayed communism out of Russia. <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? They didn't have Kalashnikov rifles. They had Bibles. And they knew their Bibles. And they knew the promises of God. And they pleaded with God to keep those promises. That Christ would see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And Paul is saying, join with me in my struggle. Your prayers really make a difference. Do you, want to, do you want to break new ground for the gospel? Do you want to see people saved? Do you want to see new churches evangelized into existence? There's an awful lot of church hopping around, isn't there? And it's like, it's like these sort of, you know, shop front things that's, you know, there's a new, new product and they hire a shop front and it, it pops up for a couple of months and then it disappears. And there are churches like that all over Tasmania. And, and, and often well, it, it, they, they survive on transfer growth, people hopping from one church to another. That's, that's not gospel advance. Do you want to see new churches evangelized into existence? This is where it begins. This is how it was for us back in the, in the late 90s in Hobart. This is where it all began, in a congregational prayer meeting at St. John's. When, when William Carey went to India with the gospel as a pioneer missionary, he wrote home to his friend Andrew Fuller, I'm going into the pit, but you must hold the rope. You must hold the rope. Let me ask you, I've almost finished, let me ask you, who are you holding the rope for? Or, or, or do you just take a polite interest in world mission? Perhaps you enjoy getting an email every now and again with some missionary news, but are you holding the rope? Who is holding the rope? Who's going to hold the rope for Simon and Lucinda and their kids when they go later on this year? Who's going to hold the rope for them? And for RJ and Haley and their kids, as they go off to train with Wycliffe this year, will it be a case of out of sight, out of mind? God forbid that it should be like that. 
Who's going to hold the rope? And what about Pete and Mel? You've called Pete to be your pastor. Will you hold the rope for him? Will you covenant to pray for him and his family every week? Join with me in my struggle, says Paul. Ministry, gospel ministry is a struggle. Peter's going to have to struggle week in, week out to get a message from God to bring to you. That's not easy. He's going to wrestle with principalities and powers, with, with the spiritual hosts of wickedness. Will you join with him in his struggle? Uh, one more story and I finished. Uh, I remember when I was in London, I was a pastor in London for many years and uh, at, uh, at Grove Chapel in London. And uh, I remember talking to an old guy. He used to be a member of Westminster Chapel, which is right in the center of London, just by Buckingham Palace. It's where Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the minister for very many years. If you don't know and if you've never read of Lloyd-Jones, he was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. Uh, he had 3,000 people every Sunday, hanging on his every word. He preached all around the world. He saw loads of conversions. And uh, this friend of mine, he was, a really, he was really involved at Westminster Chapel. And he, he told me that uh, in those years when the doctor was still ministering there, he would always attend the prayer meetings just before the service. On one occasion, he asked, don't you appreciate my ministry? They were shocked. The person leading the prayer meeting said, well, of course we do, doctor. Then why don't you ever pray for me? Well, surely, doctor, you don't need our prayers. <laughs> oh, the doctor said, you don't know me, then. You don't know me. Will you hold the, ro the rope for Pete? Every week, he, when he comes here to preach to you, will you, will you, will you join with him in his struggle to lead you and to bring the word of God to you? We came to Hobart from London in 1993. Our kids were the same age as Fyodor, Raphael, and Eleanor. They had no idea where Australia was, let alone Tasmania. They thought that was somewhere in Africa. Uh, we used to tell them, we're going on a big adventure. <laughs> thanks, thanks be to God, so it turned out to be. Not without its struggles and its difficulties. Soul Church, this is such an exciting time for you, isn't it? You're going on a big adventure with Peter and Mel. And this is, this is my message to you as I, as I, as I go. Give up your small ambitions. Make it your ambition to break new ground for the gospel and to boldly go where no one has been before. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word from our apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, the great apostle Paul. We pray, Lord, that we might sit under the authority of this word and take it to heart. And we pray, Lord, that as uh, for Pete, as he takes up the ministry here next week, we pray for his family as they join him in this great adventure to which you've called him. We pray, Lord, from day one, even though we know that he will be in the firing line, that he, uh, he will be in the midst of uh, a great spiritual warfare, we pray that from day one he might also know your blessing upon his ministry. We pray that you'd give him souls for his hire. 
We pray that you would add to this church those who are being saved. We pray that you'd help us to expand uh, our boundaries, to attempt great things for God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.